All right, everybody. I don't think that's exactly what it means. You can't get married before the beginning of time. I mean, I know that Jesus could have been crucified before the beginning of time, but I don't. Um, I mean, in God's plan, you were married before the beginning of time, but you look pretty good for 31. Let me just say that. And so <laughs> you move around pretty good, too, for that age. So um, we are in our series, um, Trust the Story, part 37. We actually started this back in March. Uh, we started it when COVID started, um, all the way back on like March 15th, I think is when we began this series and we are going to finish it in January. Praise the Lord. Um, the whole point of this series has been learning how to trust the story, learning how to read the Bible as a story, understanding it as it was written so that we know how to handle it in our own lives. In second Timothy, we're going to read later the apostle Paul tells Timothy to be the kind of person who correctly handles the word of truth. Um, just because we quote the words that are written on the page doesn't mean we're applying them in the situation the way they're meant to be applied. And in the 1960s, there was a discovery known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but what happened when the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered by accident we learned a lot about the Bible from a Jewish perspective because we got copies of the scripture that we didn't have before. I know that sometimes we look at this book and we think, wow, look at all these words. But some of the books like Jeremiah that we have before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we had little bits and pieces and we just tried to fill in the blanks. The Dead Sea Scrolls changed everything. It gave us old copies of the scripture it solidified some things but it also taught us that the apostle paul wasn't an american you might not have known that um, because as americans as western thinkers we tend to view things a certain way jesus the apostle paul peter all of the apostles abraham were not western thinkers they were Eastern thinkers. And understanding this book as a story changes everything. It helps us understand that before the beginning of time, God had this plan and He's been working it ever since. He's never deviated from it. When we look back at church history, um, there was a point in history where the church became quote-unquote an empire. Where we became, um, we, we, got, we got on the handle side of the sword. You know, at the, we're looking at the scriptures right now. And when we looked at Peter and when we look at Timothy today, we're going to see that suffering and persecution are on the rise. Well, later on, uh, persecution changes. Christianity becomes acceptable under the reign of Constantine. It starts to mix with the culture and we get a version of Christianity that looks very, very different than the early church looked. But we don't know any better. We don't know any different. And Trust the Story has been trying to help us differentiate between what's actually biblical and what's just the words on a page that we're applying however we want to apply them to make our lives better. That's what it's all been about. And... Mixing it with culture is not all bad. As we talked about Christmas last week, uh, 
it's not all bad. The idea of the 12 days of Christmas, the celebration of Advent, um, January 5th, we can embrace those things and culture can actually help us to advance the kingdom. But when we start treating the cultural tools like the kingdom, that's where we get into trouble. We're known in America as a Christian nation. And we're known as a Christian nation because we abide by moral codes. And that was foreign to all of the other nations of the world. They didn't have a faith in God. They didn't have a morality-based system of government. We did that. But Christian nation and follower of Christ are not the same thing. And there are people who live in a Christian nation who say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, who say I have faith in God, but have not turned from their old life to the new life in Christ Jesus. So just because they're an American, just because they live in a Christian nation, just because they put faith in God, does not make them a believer, a disciple of Christ. Following Christ, surrendering our life to Him, believing that His death makes us right before God, not our moral code. If we try to live up to the moral code to be right with God, none of us have a chance. All of our righteous works are like filthy rags to Him. But before the beginning of time, He had this plan. And so that doesn't make Him this big angry God up in the hot sky just waiting to crush the people that are our enemies. And that's sometimes what we do in the church. We look at people in the world that are actually kicking against the goats. They're actually fighting against God and we start hating them. We start getting so ticked off at them. And yet from the beginning, we were just like them and God died for us. It's so mind-blowing when you start to understand the Bible from this concept. The later empires that came after the Roman Empire, especially like the Byzantine Empire. If you don't know history, if you don't know church history... You should look into it because it makes a big deal. The Byzantine Empire takes Christianity and makes it law. And then the Crusades come and we start slaughtering Muslims and we start slaughtering the Jews and we're trying to take back the Holy Land for Christianity. And Christianity becomes less and less Jewish and more and more Christian. And we kind of differentiate or separate now that we have that handle end of the sword and we no longer follow the scripture as it was given to the apostles and the early church. And there's a, a, a huge shift that I believe is taking place in, our, in the church world worldwide that's bringing us back to this. We're not going back to be Jewish, okay? We're going back to the, the, the Jewish roots of the scripture so that we do not misapply it in our world today. The average early church member did not have a copy of the Bible. In the Reformation period, they did not have copies of the Bible. So they were at the mercy of the church leaders and there was so much abuse taking place that the Reformation comes along, puts the scripture in the hand of the average person in a language they can understand, but there was no way to fully understand the book as a story. So everyone just kind of interpreted it however they wanted to interpret it. However it made sense to their life, personalize it, make it for you. You can't do that with God's story. We can't personalize it and make it the way I want. We have to understand the story he's been telling since the beginning of time and then apply it to my life in a personal way. 
So while the Reformation comes along and makes the Bible accessible to us, it didn't do all good. And the fact that the, the early church fathers of the Reformation were anti-Semitic. They didn't like the Jews. They hated the Jews. They spoke against the Jews. They wanted to burn down synagogues and burn up their scrolls. So until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's been this missing aspect that is just now getting into the, the regular church, if you will. Scholars have been talking about it for years. But especially in Pentecostal circles, we tend to be like scholars, you know. We have the Holy Spirit. Well, you need the Holy Spirit, but you also need scholarly understanding of the Scripture as it was written. And there's not this dichotomy. They actually go together very well. But early Pentecostals were kind of kicked out of the church. And I feel like many of us carried that little bit of offense toward those that kicked us out of the other churches, the traditional churches, because of the, the belief in the gifts of the Spirit, which, by the way, were also lost during the Reformation period because many of our Reforming Fathers didn't like the gifts and the signs and wonders. There's a lot that God is doing in these last days, bringing us back to this, and this is what I've been trying to pour over since March. And so hopefully, it's been building and making some sense. Um, I never expected when we came to the end of this series that everyone would be like a brilliant Bible scholar. Um, I hoped that you would have an understanding of the scripture. So when you read it, you slow down a little bit and say, what is that really saying? And how do I apply that to my life? Um, this is a lifetime journey that we're all on. I'm not an expert in the scripture. I'm still learning things about the scripture. And so this is what this series has been about. And today... We're going to talk about finish the race. Kind of a weird message for the first Sunday of the year, but finish the race. We read 2 Timothy. This coming week, you're going to read 2 Peter, and we're going to read the, the corresponding verses, and then we're going to take a break. Um, next Sunday is our last Sunday in this building, so January 10th, next Sunday. The January 17th will be our first Sunday at the Fine Arts Center, which is just straight down 9th Street. 9th Street in Ohio. It's right on the corner. 937 Ohio. A letter is going to go out this week um, reminding you, putting that in writing so that you have a copy of that. And then um, on the 24th and the 31st, we're going to come back to this series and do the book of Jude, the book of Revelation. And then we'll have made it through the whole Bible. We'll finish the race. But for today, um, as we talked about last week with First Peter, the church is starting to enter into a very dark period for them, in a sense. Um, because persecution is on the rise, um, the, they're suffering more, and some of them are getting really tired. Um, if you can imagine, if 2020, okay, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in 2020, but 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people. Um, a lot of different things going on, a lot of pressures, a lot of just stuff. Imagine 30 years of 2020 times 50. Okay, because really what we just walked through was really nothing compared to what they were facing in the early church. But you can imagine it eventually wears on you. And so Peter writes to encourage them, hey, cling to what's most important. Make sure you're fighting the right battle with the right methods for the right reasons. Don't just pick one of those three, right battle, right weapons, right reason. And Paul is going to kind of do that same thing, but on a more personal level, because he's writing just to his friend Timothy, his protege Timothy. Um, we already talked about First Peter. 
And so one of the things I want us to look at real quick is this timeline. Right about this time in AD 66, this is about when Peter wrote, when Paul's writing 2 Timothy, a Jewish revolt is happening. Because of the, the persecution and the suffering, some of the Jews begin to rebel against the Roman Empire. And that leads to the destruction of the temple. The, the Romans just try to squash that thing. And then they destroy the temple and they begin to persecute the Jews. So some would argue that they brought some of the persecution on themselves. Um, some would argue that they didn't. Um, I'm not here to pick a side. I'm just telling you those are the facts. So for about seven years, the Jews revolted, but they totally squelch it. <clears throat> People get spread throughout the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then if you look, around 306 AD is when Constantine comes to power. So about 250 years until Christianity becomes socially acceptable. And then under Constantine, it not only becomes socially acceptable, again, it gets mixed with that, um, the culture of the day, and it becomes a little bit different than the early apostles wanted. But then when Rome falls in 476 AD, um, it actually took about 100 years for the Roman Empire to totally collapse. Other empires come on the scene. And so that's that dark period that we've been talking about. So Paul, right at the beginning of this time, the, the apostles are not supporting the revolt. Okay? They are not joining the zealots. They're not joining the army. They're not picking up the sword to fight against the Roman Empire. Okay? They are advancing the gospel, the kingdom. And they realize that they don't need to overthrow Rome to advance the kingdom. And that's where the Apostle Paul finds himself right now in prison, betrayed, abandoned, weak, sick. But in this letter, he expresses his faith in God. God's been writing a story and Paul is totally okay with it. He expresses his personal needs to Timothy and he's trying to encourage Timothy. So I want to look first at verse or chapter 4, the end of this letter. Paul writes this, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. What he knows is he's under trial right now in the Roman Empire and he is not, it's not going to go well. He knows that he's going to get killed. Okay, so he knows that the end is near. <clears throat> but look at what he says. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We are in a fight, we are in a race, and we are going to be tempted to abandon the faith. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to turn our back on our faith. It may just mean we're going to stop pressing into our faith. It may mean that we're just going to get tired and just become apathetic and just try to drift until Jesus comes. That's the same type of abandoning of the faith. Okay, It's not okay to just... As Christina kind of alluded to, oh, let's just, you know, hope for heaven. We have not been born again to hope for heaven. We have been born again to advance the kingdom, to live in the life that Jesus had. And whether that means suffering or persecution, or whether that means total victory and, uh, and an empire, it doesn't matter. What matters is the kingdom is the kingdom, and it's in us. We have this kingdom, and we are called to finish our race. Back in 2016... I ran the Fargo Marathon. 
And this is what I got for finishing. Pretty, pretty impressive. In fact, I love Fargo because on the back is engraved Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So I love this medal. I hang it in my office. Um, <clears throat> it actually didn't go as well as I'd hoped. No, I'm kind of wearing it backwards, but that's okay. It didn't go as well as I'd hoped. The first 13 miles did, but something happened at mile, like between 13 and 14, my calves started to cramp up, literally cramp while I was running. So I had to walk till they stopped cramping, and then I would run again. And I still ran three hours and 51 minutes, but I had hoped for three hours and 30 minutes. So I was a little disappointed, but I couldn't understand why I had these cramps. I'm like, all these practice runs and all this stuff, what happened? Well, I woke up that morning, my stomach was a little mm, off, and I'm like, I don't want to keep stopping at porta potties, so I'm going to take an Imodium AD. That's not good. Um, that dries out your body, so around mile 13, even though I had been drinking Gatorade and water, uh, my body got severely dehydrated, severely dehydrated. In fact, I won't go into the details, but it was severely dehydrated. So the cramps started, but I had to persevere, and I didn't win, in fact, I was like an hour and 50 minutes behind the winner, but I got this really cool medal. And all throughout the scripture, we're, tool, we're told to finish our race. He who endures to the end will be saved. And it doesn't matter if you get to the finish line first, but you have to run like you're trying to get to the finish line first. The Apostle Paul uses the analogy of a runner and being in a race over and over throughout the Scripture. And you have to act like you're trying to win this thing or you will not. You will be deceived. You will fall into apathy. We have got to press into this thing. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to Timothy. <clears throat> he talks to him about how he's the reality of how he's feeling. He's been abandoned. He's been betrayed. Look at what he says. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He loved this world. He, he no longer wanted to press into another world. He wanted what this world had to offer. <clears throat> Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to, e to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. <clears throat> he wants a coat. He's cold. He's old. He's probably about 31. He's, uh, now, he's way older than 31, <clears throat> but he's way more weak and frail than Pastor Mark. And he's in a cold dungeon. He is, he's cold. He's tired. He's weak. Um, and he just wants something to read. He wants the scriptures to be able to read, to nourish himself. What a, what a great thing. I think of John the Baptist at the end of his life when he was in prison. And he's just starting to be like disillusioned. And he's like, are you the Messiah? Did I miss this? And in, in some ways, Paul is probably feeling that same thing. But he's refusing to give into it. He's just refusing to give into the emotion of it. I know he's feeling it. There's no way that he's in prison just like always having a worship service and being like, woohoo, I love this. Um, but he just refuses to give in to that negative emotion. Uh, he goes on to talk about Alexander, the metal worker, who did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposes our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. I mean, this guy could be pretty bitter. May it not be held against them. Great verse today about, I'm not going to hold the fence. 
Those people de deserted me. They abandoned me. May God not hold it against them. Because the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength. Though everyone else abandons me, the Lord will give me strength. You know, it doesn't matter if your spouse is a believer or your spouse is an unbeliever or you have anyone in your family that's a Christian or it feels like the whole world is turned against you, the church is turned against you, people, everyone's against me. The Lord never deserts us. And if we hold on to those petty offenses, if we hold on to that stuff, it won't destroy the other person. We've all heard it. Being offended at another person is like drinking poison and waiting for them to die. It just doesn't happen. All it does is make us sick it makes us tired. It skews our vision of those other people. It skews our vision of what God is doing in our world. We become cynical. We become jaded. We become angry. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Don't you dare do that. I'm not going to do it either. He's feeling it, but I'm not going to give into it because the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Uh, Paul like lost his head. And yet God... He knows the Lord has, he's the only one that controls my fate and he's keeping everything safe for me. No one can take it from me. All the way back in chapter one, he starts this letter with those same words. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Philagius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my, my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy on, from the Lord on that day. You know very well how in many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. So here he is facing abandonment, facing betrayal, facing hardship, and he is just maintaining that right heart. He's trusting the story that God has written from the beginning and he knows that everything God has is kept safe. So if you and I are going to finish our race, and I promise you, you're going to get a cooler medal than this when you get to heaven. Um, God has got something in store for us that everything will be worth it. But let me just tell you what I told you last week. It is going to get hard. If you thought 2020 was hard, wow. I don't know what to tell you because it's about to get hard to press in. But like the Apostle Paul, we can maintain a right heart. We can trust the story. We can know that everything is kept safe for us in heaven. There is nothing that can come to us outside of the hand of the sovereign God. We can trust Him in the midst of all of it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Yeah, the people out in that world, they are just like that, only he's not talking about them. Look who he's talking about. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. He's talking about the same group of people Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, whose agape love has grown cold. There's an increase of wickedness. 
And we look out in the world and we're like, oh, there's like pornography and sexual immorality and homosexuality and abortion and all this evil. And yet in the church, there's a lot of lover of pleasure and there's a lot of treacherous and there's a lot of without self-control and there's a lot of slanderous and unforgiving. And I am so tired of hearing the stories of people that have gone to church at the same church for 20 years, but they haven't spoken to each other. How? And how do we think that anything that's going on outside those doors is any worse than that? Because if you claim to have the, the Holy Spirit in you, that is the, the, the Spirit of peace, the Spirit of love, the Spirit of joy, the Spirit of goodness, how can we live like this? Look what he says. He goes on to say, have nothing to do with these people. They're the... I think all of the mics are off, but thank you. So, <laughs> but I'm going to keep moving. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. You're going to have to turn the we're going to have to turn the rack off before you power up the soundboard. <clears throat> they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always listen to this. Always learning never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of truth. My memory from two years ago that showed up on Facebook this week was this quote by Mark Patterson. My teaching, you need goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We need to get on our... I need to press into this purpose, this faith. We cannot just try to live our best life here on earth, you know, hoping, you know, just not to rock the boat too much or hoping, you know, just to, to you know, have a good retirement someday. We are living as aliens and strangers on this earth and we are living for another time and another place. And this is what Paul is trying to put into Timothy's heart that even though we're going to be persecuted, we've got to press into this purpose this faith, this patience, this love. We cannot let our enemies get us jaded, get us angry. They're actually our goal. And Paul is going to say it over and over and over again. And he says to Timothy, don't be like these people. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I know when we read that we're like, oh yeah, we have the scriptures. But when Paul wrote that to Timothy, all they had was the law, the prophets, and the writings. And somehow that was enough to make them wise. And I love the New Testament. I love the Gospels. I love the letters. But if we don't understand the story that God was telling in the law, the prophets, and the writings, we are going to misunderstand the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the Old Testament points to it. And for too many of us, we try to take the New Testament and just make it a code of conduct of how we're supposed to live our lives. And while, yes, it does show us how we should live now that we have faith in Christ, it's not just a code of conduct. And then we look down on people that don't live up to the code of conduct as well as I do. 
Even though we don't live up well to it. I mean, some of it we do. But every single one of us in this room has areas where this book should be cutting away at our lives on a regular basis. Look at it. All Scripture is useful to correct us and to teach us and to rebuke us and to train us. Are you being trained? Are you being corrected and rebuked? I mean, if we go a week, a month, and this book never corrects or rebukes us, I don't know that we're leaning too hard into the kingdom. I think we're trying to coast and just hope that someday we're going to go to heaven when we die. And as we progress in the last days, it's going to, be, it's going to get clearer and clearer because God said everything's going to get shaken. And the shaking is actually going to purify. And all I'm trying to do today is prepare us for it. Because okay? it's coming. It's already started. Can you feel it? Yeah, it's coming. But it's okay. Because from the beginning, God's had a plan and He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul says over and over, he tells Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. A time is going to come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And by the way, some of those people will go to church every Sunday and read the Bible cover to cover every year. Because they will twist this book to suit their own desires, like Paul says right there. That's what's going to happen. We just want a gospel that gives us what we want. Not a gospel that calls us to come and die and lay down our lives, even for our enemies. To be hospitable to people. To love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us. That's the gospel. And in the last days, people don't want that. We want to fight. We want to, we want to make sure we have the sword in our hand. And just like those zealots, just like those Jews that revolted against the Roman Empire, they died. They died. That was it, the end. But the gospel that Paul preaches still lives on today. That kingdom is never ending. And it cannot be shaken. And that's what he's encouraging Timothy to lean into, to finish this work. That race. That race is going to give you some twists and turns. It's going to give you some unexpected parts of the course. But just do the work, Timothy. The work of an evangelist. Endure the hardship. Keep your head about you. That's some good news for 2020 right there. That should just be our goal. Every single day, just keep your head. Keep your head. I mean, the very next verse that Paul writes is, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm about to die. And he's telling Timothy, you know, don't let what everyone else is doing cause you to lose your mind. (laughs) Keep your head about you. Stay patient. Gently correct those that are against you. And Paul, over and over in this letter, reminds Timothy, you have everything you need to do this. The very beginning of the letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, from before the foundation, remember, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I read that this week. And I put the Bible down. Well, actually, I put my phone down. I was reading it on my phone. And I'm like, holy cow. Every single day of my life, I have unlimited grace, unlimited mercy, and unlimited peace. Whether I feel like it or not. Because the Spirit lives in me, and He is unlimited grace, mercy, and peace. 
Like that ought to change everything about how I live today. Paul goes on talking about the Timothy's upbringing and the faith that lived in his grandmother and the faith that was in his mother and is now in him. And look at this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, when we put faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But if we're, what are we doing to fan that into flame? Am, am I... Am I Yes, I need to have a devotional time. This isn't about your devotional time. It's not about taking time every day to be in the Word. It's about every moment of every day fanning it into flame. It's like when people tick me off, all I got to do is say, no, I got to fan, fan peace right now into flame. Because I have peace inside of me, but I'm not feeling it. So I got to get those peace embers and I got to get them flowing. Because I have them. They're already in me. And I got I to... Gotta, come back to the Word and i gotta, I got to find peace scriptures to fan, fan, peace, 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 peace. Instead of losing my head. And if, some, if we would stop typing and just start fanning, it might change the world. It really might. Fanning into flame that gift within us. Look what's in us. Power, love, self-discipline. Oh, Pastor Tom, I'm just not a very self-disciplined person. Well, praise God that God put His Spirit in you because He is the epitome of self-control. And so I, it doesn't matter whether you're a self-disciplined person or not, you have the Spirit in you and you have everything you need for this. So stop lying to yourself and saying you're not a disciplined person. Well, at least stop lying to yourself and saying the new creation you is a disciplined person. You have the self-control you need. You have to fan it into flame. We... Want it to be done for us. Can I tell you, nobody ran this marathon for me. I had to do it. Even when I had leg cramps, I had to do it. And I felt like, you know, one of those people that had to stop and walk in a race. And it could have been easy to just quit. But I didn't quit. Because that's, what, that's that emotion that Paul's trying to put in Timothy's heart right here. Look at what God has saved us for. He's called us to live a holy life. That word holy has gotten a bad rap over the years. Um, we think holy means you just wear long dresses, put your hair in a bun, don't wear makeup, don't dance, don't like drink, don't do all these. Like We've made this list of what holy is, and we'll talk about it in a second. It's not just those things, okay? But not because of anything he's, we have done. It was God's purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What did Paul entrust to him? Himself. I got nothing else to offer God but myself. And God is able to keep it until that day. So Paul says, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Then into chapter 2, Paul says, look at this.
show up and be on duty that day. with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's not about trying to earn your spiritual pedigree. It's not about, well, look at me. I'm holy. I'm fleeing from evil things. It's that those things are going to keep us from living in the purpose God has for us. So we don't just flee stuff. We pursue stuff. We pursue His calling. We pursue what He's put in our hearts. We fan these things into flame because this is why we were created. This is what we've been called to do. Then Paul says this, don't have anything to do with social media. That's what he said right there. Look at it. (laughs) Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. Took me so long to learn this. But can I tell you, life is so much better without quarreling on Facebook. It really is. I'm just saying. And so, just... have nothing to do with it. Post pictures of what you ate and your cat. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to most everyone. Oh wait, no. He must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. So when you've got opponents... Make sure we're gently hoping that they come to truth. Because here's the thing. Some of our opponents might actually be right. Yeah. See, we always think our opponents are always wrong about everything. But in some areas, God may be using our opponents to teach us some things. So it's good to be gentle, making sure that we stay in His Word, making sure that we keep pursuing the things that He's called us to pursue. Then at the beginning of chapter 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And these things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I alluded to this last week. I'll say it again. The church was never designed to be a one-man show. And churches that are built on the shoulders of personality always crumble. They always crumble. Because the weight of one man's shoulders, one pastor, one leader, it was never meant to carry the church. The church is supposed to be a group of leaders. It's supposed to be elders, together, leading the church. Other people should be teaching. Other people should be preaching. Other people should be ministering to people. Other people should be pastoring each other in the church. If we want to build it on one person, It won't last. But if we spread this thing out, no matter what happens, if we can't meet in a building, the church will still go forward. Why? Because we've entrusted it to other people. We can spread this thing out all over this community, all over this state, all over the United States. We can bring the kingdom everywhere. I don't care whether we can meet in rooms or not. I don't care if we can live stream the service or not. Nothing can stop the kingdom if we do it according to the book. But look at what Paul says. But you have to live like a soldier. You have to live like an athlete. You have to live like a farmer. 
A soldier doesn't get caught up with civilian affairs. When a soldier is on the battlefield, they don't just, you know, drive down the road like nothing's happening. You know, when you're driving somewhere, you ought to be praying for this community. You ought to be praying in the spirit because there are spiritual landmines everywhere and you never know when you're going to hit one or someone else is going to hit one. So just like every soldier, we can't... I, well, praise God, I had my coffee and my devotion time this morning and now I can move about my day. No, you are a soldier and you are taking that word, you are taking that sword everywhere you go or you are declaring life, you are declaring peace, you are declaring hope, you are declaring joy. I don't care if you have to wear a mask or not you can declare peace hope joy and love with a mask on just build the kingdom don't get caught up in the civilian affairs you have to be like an athlete who competes according to the rules yeah there are rules yep don't like it but there are rules that we are called to live by as followers of christ and you have to be a farmer farmer gets up in the morning i just don't feel like milking the cows today i'm gonna let it slide Ain't no farmer in the world that does that. Farmers with COVID, farmers with the flu, farmers that probably had surgery the day before are out milking cows because you have to be diligent and hardworking to be a farmer. Yeah, I know they drive around in air-conditioned cabs. It's not all that, okay? It takes that type of discipline, Paul is saying, if we're going to see this thing through. And so he tells Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them again about social media. It's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. But do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word, the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and Fallacious who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection have already taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. We need to stop drawing lines and saying, well, those people are His and those people are His. Just make sure you're His. And do everything you can to get everybody else in too. The Lord knows those who are His and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So I don't care if it feels good. If this book says it isn't good, it isn't good. And we have to turn away from it diligently according to the rules. Like soldiers, we've got to fight this thing because there's a prize at the end and it's way better than this thing. <clears throat> last scripture which also was our first scripture Paul says I'm already being poured out like a drink offering the time for my departure is near I've fought the good fight I've finished the race I have kept the faith now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for His appearing. So, bow your heads with me for a moment. Think about that phrase for a second. Are we longing for His appearing? Not because we just want to escape the hardship of this world, but because we're leaning so hard into the kingdom and we're tasting it so much 
that we want the full expression of it. Because, see, there, <clears throat> there's been a longing for His appearing. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. When these weary days are over, I'll fly away. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is you lean into it now so much that it whets your appetite for more. And so when we just try to flee from evil things, well, I want to, you know, try to be a good person and try to live a good life, but I'm not pursuing the good thing. I'm not pursuing Him. It doesn't whet my appetite. And so then it becomes harder to flee the evil stuff because I'm not pressing into the good stuff. I'm not fanning into flame. I'm not guarding the deposit. I'm not doing those things. I'm not fighting that good fight of faith. And Paul says, lean into it. Long for His appearing. So the question is, am I fighting that good fight of faith? Am I fighting against the worldly agendas? Am I fighting also against apathy and even against religiosity? Am I just clinging to cultural Christianity or am I pressing in to be a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ, willing to lay down my life, willing to bless those who curse me, willing for it? Am I guarding that good deposit? Am I fanning the spirit into flame? Am I being taught and trained and corrected and rebuked? Are my eyes set on finishing this race no matter what? Like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. Am I pressing into this? Even when I'm abandoned, even when I'm betrayed, even when I've taken an unexpected turn, even when there's loss, even when there's hardship. Am I pressing into this? Years ago, this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4 was used by Speed the Light, the youth missions in, in the United States, and the theme was no regrets. It was one of my favorite themes, no regrets. And they made a t-shirt that year that I loved. The t-shirt said, live your life so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. And people always laughed at that shirt. And then when they found out I was a pastor, they even laughed more that I would wear that shirt. But that's the truth. We live our lives right now as if purposes. Because some of us are being used for everyday purposes, but God's got something more in store for you. He has got more in store for you than you even believe that He could have in store for you. And so lean into it. Press into this. Fight for it. Every single day, fight for that devotional time in the morning. Fight for that devotional time whenever it fits in your schedule. But don't just leave it there. Every moment apart. The attitude of anyone in Huron for why you created them and why you've recreated them in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and so Holy Spirit... Take these words from Paul. Take these words from 2 Timothy and just make them clear in every one of our hearts, in every one of our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. And now God, over this body today, I pray. <laughs> I pray not just for today, but God, I pray for this new year ahead. Lord, would you bless them and would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you be gracious to them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? And God, would you give them peace? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Man, as you go through this week, I'd encourage you to read through 2 Timothy. In fact, I'd encourage you before you go to bed tonight, read the book of 2 Timothy again, put it into that context, 
And then this week ahead, begin to read Second Peter. We'll study it next week. God bless you as you go. Our host.